If you're just joining us, here's what happened. The very beginning of the summer, we began a brand new series called Whatever. We're looking at the book of, first, or the book of Philippians and just studying and, and reading together and learning together what the Apostle Paul was writing, writing to the church of Philippi. Now, the good news, if he's saying those things to the church of Philippi, he's saying them to us as well. And here's what we've learned is that God wants us all to have joy. He did not create us. He did not make us just to kind of exist until one day we get to heaven, and that's where the big party is. But God wants us to have joy here on this earth. And so we've been looking at different areas that Paul talked about, finding joy in relationships, finding joy in conflict resolution, finding joy in our work, finding joy in lots of areas. And today we're going to end with the very last one. And I, I think Paul was pretty wise on saving this for the last one. I'm glad he did because I was afraid if we would have did it in the very beginning, you might not have come back. Today's topic is finding joy in your finances. So look at your neighbor going, it's okay you came today. Okay, it's not going to be a bad talk on finances. You're not going to leave here feeling guilt because here's the great thing. When Paul was writing to the church of Philippi, and again, the church of South Sub, he's not writing about finances to, to make us feel guilty to always think we should be doing more. He's writing about joy and finances so we can see our money and our stewardship through God's perspective, not our own. And so if you've got your Bibles, if you want to look up the fourth chapter of Philippians, and we'll be starting in verse 10. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, we're going to have it up here. But here's what you need to understand as we start this one. We need to go back a little bit and really picture ourselves as the church of Philippi. And, and here's why I mean that. Because as we conclude this letter, if you don't really understand and emotionalize and feel what they were feeling as they read that letter, I'm afraid we may miss some of what Paul was saying. So let me rewind the tape a little bit and just familiarize yourself with the whole relationship that Paul had with the church of Philippi. Um, it, it was a church that he began around 50 years after Christ died, um, and it was one of his favorite churches. I say favorite. It seems as we read Scripture, it was one of the churches that he had the closest relationships with. And back in those days, when Paul would go to church and, and go to a city and create a church, he would stay there a couple of years many times, and then he would lead to another town, another city to start that church there. And because they didn't have modern technology like we have today, didn't have modern transportation like we have today, when he left a church, it was many times a number of years, if ever, that he ever saw those people again. And so you can imagine if you, did, you created this deep relationship with your pastor, he poured into you for many of them. He's the one that introduced them to a relationship with Jesus. He discipled them. So when he left, there was great grieving. But they tried their best to stay in contact with him. And so when he wrote the letter, the church of the church of Philippi, it was about 12 years later. And here's what we know as we read some different accounts throughout Scripture. They had some contact with one another. In fact, there was a point early in his ministry that the church of Philippi actually sent a financial gift to Paul as he was trying to create and start other churches, other places. But there was a season in during this 12 years of his relationship with them where they lost contact with one another. We're not really sure why he lost contact. It could have been just because Philippi, the church of Philippi didn't have the means to contact him to send people to send letters. It could have been because while Paul was in jail, which is where he wrote the letter, that they wouldn't allow him to have any contact with them. But there was this gap of relationship, a gap of communication. And so when Paul finally wrote the letter to Philippi, to the church of Philippi, they're reading it. So the reason I want you to imagine that you're the church of Philippi, imagine you have not seen Paul for a number of years, 
good possibility you haven't even heard from him for a number of years. You had sent a letter and a financial gift to him through one of your church members, but you had no idea, did he receive it, how he received it. You're just kind of at a loss. I don't know about you, but when our grown kids come to see us, we have this white plate on our counter, and Denise will write on there the number of sleeps until they come. And so we'll start about day 20, 20 sleeps until the kids get here, 19 sleeps until the kids, because there's an anticipation of seeing them. And so I imagine when the church of Philippi received the letter from Paul, as they opened it up, they probably all gathered together. They probably all were peering over somebody's shoulder trying to read it as they read it out loud because there's great anticipation of what he was going to write. And so this whole letter, the whole summer, we've been reading it together. They're listening to everything he has to say. And then he gets to verse 10, and this is what Paul writes. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. If you circle things in your Bible, if you've got the outline and you're circling things there on the passage, I want you to circle the word concern. That they, he said, I'm glad I was rejoicing that at last you renewed your concern for me. There's that gap that I was talking about. There was that season that they had no connection with one another. But Paul said, I am glad now that you finally renewed concern. Here's the reason I want you to circle that word concern because I think it's so important. There's a difference in intentions and concern. Concern is actually intentions with action attached to it. You may be like me. How many times are you guilty of good intentions? I need to call that person. I need to reach out to that person. I need to ask that person they want to go get lunch together and to check on them. And we're full of good intentions, but those intentions, when actions are never attached to them, never get anywhere in the other person's life. But what Paul is saying, hey, Church of Philippi, thank you so much that you didn't just have good intentions, you put actions to your intentions. Because without those actions, Paul would have never felt the care and the concern that they expressed to him. But here's also what I like about what he's saying there. As he's writing to them and saying, thank you for finally reaching out, finally showing me your concern and helping me out. There wasn't a guilt trip on there. I'm afraid if I'm Paul. And I've got this church that has loved me so deeply, friendships that I've loved so deeply, and I've not had contact with them for a couple of years. I'm in jail. They're not in jail. I'm wondering do they even care about me anymore. I'm wondering do they even think about me anymore. My letter might have said, hey, church at Philippi, thanks that your care finally got to me. I was wondering if you were just too busy to help me out anymore. I think about you often. I had no idea if you ever think about me. Are you with me here? There's that passive-aggressive guilt trip, but he did not lay that on them. He just simply said, in so many words, I missed you, I long for you, and now I'm rejoicing that we're finally connecting together. Now, here's why that's important as we begin these last few verses. Because the topic today is finding joy in your finances. And one of the things as a pastor is I, I just do not like, can't stand, I might even use the word hate, our sermons over finances. I think the only people that dislike sermons over finances more than the pastor is the congregation. (laughs) Because you know the pastor is going to get up there. You know he may give you a guilt trip. Oh, why don't you give more? You need to do this. And you just leave church heavier than when you actually came. But when Paul writes this letter to the church of Philippi, he does not heap guilt on top of them. He simply just says this, I am so glad that you were finally able to renew the care and concern for you that you had for me. And we're moving forward. 
So here's, here's your get out of jail free card. I have no idea what kind of mindset you come to church today hearing a topic over finances. This is not going to be a guilt-ridden conversation. This is simply going to be looking at God's Word and see what God's Word has to say about our finances. And then I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit will lead you as the Holy Spirit wants to lead you. No pastor pressure, only Spirit, Holy Spirit led in all of this. And you may be like I've been a few times in my life. That Denise and I have gone through seasons in our life that our giving wasn't exactly, I think, what God wanted us to have. And we would look at it and look in the rearview mirror thinking, oh, we need to do better. We didn't give here. We didn't tithe here. And we feel so overwhelmed with it. We all of a sudden start going, well, we need to make up for it. I mean, we've missed three weeks of tithing. We need to make up for it. But you look at the bank account, and those three weeks is already gone because we didn't give it first. We waited to the end of it. And here's what God showed me in that one. Keith, I need you to start now. You can never make up enough to repay me. Whether it's in your finances or your living, grace covers all things. And so here's what we're going to just commit together right now as we dive into this. It begins right now. And I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit will lead you in the direction and way that God wants you to go as it, as it pertains to your joy and finding, finding joy in your finances. So here we go. Are you ready? That's all the precursor. You ready? Now I need to go ahead and warn you. This is about an hour and a half sermon. I'm going to try to cut it down to an hour and 15 minutes. So just kind of be ready for this. Are you ready? So this is what he says in verse 11 and 12 as he kind of set the stage. He's going to talk about finances, but he does a little mini sermon first. And actually, before he talks about finances, he talks about contentment. Because there's no way that you can understand God's perspective over our finances if we don't really understand contentment. So Paul writes this in verse 11. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what, is need, what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here's the deal. If we, until we understand commitment, we will never find joy in our circumstances. If we think finding joy in our circumstances when we have more money in the bank account, or if we think we'll find joy in our, in our finances when we have more money in our wallet, but we're never content we will never have enough to find that joy. The joy when it comes to stewardship, finances, or our materialism is always found in contentment, not in the size of our bank account. And so as Paul's writing to the church of Philippi, he's going, guys, I am so thankful for this gift. It makes me feel better. I receive not just the financial gift. I receive your encouragement, and I receive your love in it. But you need to know, your gift itself is not what brings me joy. Because my relationship in God is what actually brings me joy. It's interesting, the next verse that he writes there is one of the most famous known verses that I've ever heard in all of Christendom. In fact, people use it in so many instances. And here's what he says in verse 13. He says, I can do this through him who gives me strength. I've heard that verse before football games. I've said that verse so many times when I was in school before I took tests. I've heard that, that, that verse repeated when people are going through health problems. And that verse is good in so many situations. But the context in which Paul was saying it was in the context of being content. And I believe so many pe people miss being content because they just throw up their arms going, I can never have everything I want or everything I think I deserve, and therefore I'll never be content. 
They get on social media and they just start scrolling all the beautiful pictures of families on vacations and all the wonderful things they have. And they're going, my life will never be like this. I'll never have this. They watch all the advertisements on TV and all of a sudden we're so inundated with all the things that life says we should have is that we just become bluer and bluer because we don't have those things. And Paul says you'll never have enough of those things to make you happy. Your contentment will be in God. And whether you have a little or whether you have a lot, if you don't find contentment in that, you'll always be searching for more and more and more. And he writes this little mini-sermon in there because he's about to start talking to them about their own financial giving. Thank you for this financial giving, but let me talk to you about your future financial giving. And so look what he says next in verse 14. He goes, yet, while I am content in what I have, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Will you circle that word troubles? It really is not the right word that we need to use for the connotation that Paul was using. When we think of in my troubles, all my hard times, all my difficult times, but Paul had a much more gospel-centered connotation when he used that word. Because when he said, when you help me in my troubles, he was really saying, when you help me spread the gospel. That Paul ran into some hardships. Paul ran into some hurdles, Paul ran into some difficulties, but it wasn't because life threw him a bad, just a bad swing of things. It's because as he was pursuing taking Jesus to the whole world, he hit walls at times with that. And he said, but you, you participated, you shared with me in my approach to taking the gospel to the world. And then he goes on to say this, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. Pause there for a second. Remember, I need you to pretend that you're the church of Philippi reading this letter. Can you imagine what went through their mind as they got to that point? Because they had no idea what other churches were doing. They couldn't go online and, and look at his bank account and see how the money coming in. They only knew as they gave money in the past that they sent the money and they trusted and hoped all other churches did. But they're reading this letter for the first time. And they're learning that when they sent their initial financial gift to help Paul take the gospel to other cities and plant other churches, they were the only church that partnered with them. As I read that, I begin to think, what were their emotions? Was there like, yeah, look at us. I don't think it was an emotion of pride. I think they were too humble in that. But I do think they had to read that going, wow. We knew we were part of what God was doing. We just didn't know how big a part we were doing. Because think about the opposite. Had they not sent their initial gift to him, that meant there would have been zero churches that would have been helping Paul. And if zero churches would have been helping him financially take the gospel, the gospel may have never made it to the other cities that we read about today. And so as the church of Philippi is reading that, there had to be this, this humble thankfulness on their part going, God, thank you that we got to be a part of it. And he went on to say, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. And so they read that going, wow. Not only did we get to help then, there were other times that we helped and still no one else was helping him. Now, here's why I think that's so important. I want to do a little bit of just kind of bragging on you for a second. 
you know, I've only been here three months now, and so I'm learning the history of the church. And one of the things I'm learning of the history of the church is what amazing, amazing people have given so sacrificially over the years for this church to be who and what it is today. Now, if you're new, I just want to take you on a little history lesson with me, and I want you to see, I think your eyes are going to be open, but more than that, your heart will be open. Things that God has done through this church that we call South Sub Church. So, for the history lesson, here's lesson number one. May 1957, not, May of 1957, the first service of South Sub Church was held in Grant Junior High School. Just out of curiosity, anybody here that was at that service? Like, you want to raise your hand because it's like, yeah, I was there, but like, that makes me really, really old if I was there. So we're not sure we want to raise our hand for that one. That was the first service. Now, from a financial standpoint, right around that time, <coughs> 10 acres were purchased. And I'm very glad we have some very shrewd men and women that helped lead the church because they bought 10 acres for about $32,000. And they turned around and sold four of those acres for $35,000. Anybody part of that decision making? Because I need to invite you to my own personal finances, okay? I need some help like that right now. But that was the very beginning stages of what we call South Sub Church. Then in August of 1961, the original sanctuary, which if you walk out these doors right there, go right across the hallway, there's what we call now the Fellowship Hall. That was the original sanctuary. It sat about 150 people. That and the South Wing were built with financial givings of this church. Now, out of curiosity, anybody part of, did you ever go to church in that particular sanctuary, our very first sanctuary? Yeah, anybody raise your hand. I want to see, raise your hand. Be proud of this, okay? Because those of us that weren't, we want to look at you because we need to say thank you. Anybody probably financially gave to help for that sanctuary to be there? Okay, in some form or fashion? Can I just say on behalf of us, thank you. Yeah, thank you. You're sacrificial. Had you not been a part of that physically and sacrificially, you may, we may not be here today. And so there's a humility. I look at you and saying, you saw something that we didn't see today. You had never dreamed you'd been in this room right now, but you gave then, so thank you. Now, here's a little bit more of the history. Then in 1984, a second sanctuary was built. We outgrew that one. And so what's now known as the student building was built, or the student center, seats about 400 people. So if you know where that is, just go out this door and kind of hook to the right and head that way. But it's a student building. Anybody ever sat in a service in that room right there? Raise your hand. Okay, you sat in the service. How many of you probably at some form or fashion, whether you gave money to build that or just keep it going during those years that that was our sanctuary, were you financially a part of that? Raise those hands high. Thank you. Okay, do you see where I'm getting at this? Had you not had the vision, had you not said, God, use me, we would not be in a place right now to say, God, how do we reach Littleton, um, Colorado in 2023 on? It was what you did. And then in 1992, we built the basement. The basement was built out. The parking lot was built. Then in 2004, this current sanctuary was built. And it cost around $5.6 million to build the sanctuary. How many were a part when you moved into this sanctuary where you were part of that, part of that stewardship campaign? Again, thank you. Now, how many of you, I want to make sure everyone feels a part of this sermon illustration. How many of you are actually sitting in that that sanctuary right now, this sanctuary. Okay, just make sure you're listening, okay? I want to make sure you're alive and breathing right now. So, Ray, if you're sitting in here, raise your hand. Okay, now here's the good news. If you're raising your hand right now, I'm not about to ask you money to pay for this room right here. Somebody before you took care of that. 
because they saw a vision. They saw what God wanted to do through South Sub Church, and they willingly and sacrificially, and even from a worshiping standpoint, gave so we could be here today. And then about 2021, we had this little thing called COVID. I don't know if you remember that or not, but this little thing called COVID. And we realized if we're going to keep reaching people and we couldn't come to church, we did the upgrades on some of the, um, the audio and visual and the live streaming. How many were part of that financial? Yeah. And right now, people are watching this service. We have a number of people every, every week faithfully that can't make it here, but every week they're watching faithfully online and we are still their church. And so if you're online, we're glad you're part of it. But you helped us take the gospel into ways. We look at it every week. We have people in Oklahoma. We have people in Texas. We have people around the country that watch us online because of your sacrificial giving. So uh, here's what we need to do to kind of loosen this up for the the illustration. On the count of three, I just need you to high-five somebody next to you and say, thank you for giving. One, two, three. Yeah. Now, you get another high-five. Because there's many of you in here, Paul said, when he was writing to the church of Philippi, he said, you gave, but he said this, and you gave and you sent me aid more than once. And many of you have faithfully given to a number of building projects, but not just building projects, you faithfully give every single week. And here's what we always have to remember. When we sacrificially give our tithes and offerings, it is so much more than turning on lights and running electricity. It is about taking the gospel out to the streets. That's why I'm excited about our block party coming up in a few weeks. That is our opportunity to say we're going to take who Jesus is inside of here and we're going to take it out onto the driveway, onto the parking lot, and here's what we hope. That our neighbors around here will come and join us. We did it Easter, had over 700 of our community join us. And so I hope every one of you are part of that. Now, there's a way you can be a part. Financially, as you give, that's going to help us pay for it. But we want your bodies there also. You're going, well, Keith, I can't jump on a bounce house. You don't have to be able to do a bounce house. We'll just put you there and smile at people when they get on the bounce house. But there's a place for everybody to be a part of us taking the gospel out. Now, here's the thought I had. You're reading the letter. Okay, the, the letter. You're the Church of Philippi. You're reading the letter and you're going, wow, God. I had no idea when I sent that $10, when I sent that $100 to my friend Paul, I had no idea how it would be used, and I had no idea that nobody else was helping him. And if I hadn't, nothing would have happened. Now, the church, or the letter to the Philippians was read by the Philippians, but it was very common back in those days for that letter to circulate to the other churches. Now, don't be the church of Philippi. Be the church at the next city over. The church that never sent money to Paul to help send the gospel out. The feeling you had being the church of Philippi reading that going, wow, God, thank you for letting me be a part. Can you imagine being a part of the church who didn't give and you're reading and realizing nobody gave? Now, not guilt, but I think there would be a spiritual regretting, regretting at that point. That you had no idea that little bit that you held on to because you wanted to do something else with it could have been used to take the gospel further down the road to other cities. So I'm just reading this going, Church of Philippi, good job. But not in a puff up your chest, but good job living and loving Jesus the way you were called to. And then Paul goes on to write this in verse 17. He says, not that your gifts... No, no, not that I desire your gifts, he said. What I, desire is that more, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. 
Here's what he was saying. He's going, when you gave, I'm thankful you gave. Not that it was filling up my own bank account, but here's what I need you to understand. When you gave, it was an investment. It was an investment into the future of people coming to know Jesus. And so the great news is we pass the offering plates. When you can go online and give or text to give, you are giving not so we can pay for something that someone else decided to build 10 years ago. You're paying for where we're taking the gospel tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Give you an idea. Um, tomorrow or Tuesday, I have a meeting with one of the local elementary school principals. And I'm meeting with her because I want us to start a partnership with the local elementary schools, um, helping the teachers when we can, appreciating the teachers, just creating that relationship, a bridge. But what I'm really hoping and praying is I talk to this principal over the next few months that we can start an after-school Bible club at this school. So imagine hundreds of kids who go to that elementary school that parents may never bring them here on a Sunday. That's not stopping the gospel. What will stop the gospel is if we're not willing to go where they are. And can you imagine if South Sub grabs one or two or three different elementary schools and one day a week after school that we're doing Bible clubs and kids are hearing the message of Jesus right there at their school after school. Would that be amazing? But it takes money to do that. So here's the good news. That when you give, you are investing in our future, not just the future of this church. You're investing in the future of kids who live within a mile or two miles of this church. Can you imagine 20 years from now? One of those kids comes to this church and stands before the church and said, yeah, 20 years ago my parents never took me to church. My parents were getting divorced. I didn't know anything about God. But this church came to my school and taught me about Jesus. And it changed my life. And 20 years from now, those kids are following Jesus. Wouldn't that be good? Isn't that an investment you want to be a part of? That's exactly what Paul was saying. When you gave to what he was doing, when you give to South Sub Church, it is an investment into the future lives of people. And then he goes on to say this. He says, I have received a full payment and I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent. So he's going, man, my buckets are full. Okay, my coffers are filled. Thank you so much. <coughs> but then he writes, what you sent they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. He said, when you give to God, it is more than just an investment. It is a form of worship. And that's why we referred it to as a fragrant offering, because that was a form of worship found in the Old Testament. That's why when Grant gets up here and he sets up the offering, he says, everything we do is worship. When we sing, it's worship. When we teach and learn God's word, it's worship. When we fellowship, it's worship. But when we give, it is also a form of worship. And so I love the fact that we can worship in our giving. And then he goes on to say this, verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Paul is not telling the Philippians, hey, keep giving money because God's going to bless you and give you a new car and keep giving money. He's going to give you a new house. God is not a vending machine that we give a little bit of money and pull the lever and get something better out. But Paul is declaring right there that God may not be a vending machine, but he is a keeper of his promises. And he promises to take care of all our needs, our emotional needs, our financial needs, our spiritual needs, our personal needs, our physical needs. God will take care of our needs. The problem is sometimes we get our needs and wants mixed up, and we think, well, God, this is my need. But he's going, no, that's really a want. And he may meet our needs in another way, but here's the promise that he promises to meet our needs. And here's the, here's the formula that I think takes place. 
when I get to the point with my money and saying, saying, God, money won't bring me happiness. Only my contentment will bring me happiness. And so, God, whether I have a lot or little, as Paul said, I will be content. So, God, because my money, my, I'm sorry, my joy is not based on my finances, God, let me give you some of my finances. Let me give you the first part of my finances. And as we begin to make that sacrifice, it rearranges our hearts to be in line with the heart of God. And as our hearts become aligned with God, our contentment grows. And all of a sudden, God's going, I got your needs. Whatever you're needing in life, I got you because it's put us in the path and the lane of what God's trying to do in our life. And so Paul says to him, um, my God will meet all your needs and according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 20, he says this, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's like he's writing the letter to the Philippians going, hey, finances are important, but your joy is going to be found in contentment. But when you get your finances in order, that's when you're going to find the contentment. He said, but at the end, God gets the glory. It's not about me getting the things I want. It's about God getting the glory. It's not about us having the type of church we want with the right paint and the right carpet and the right walls and all this. Those are all good things. But to God be the glory. You know, if some reason that the lights shut down today and the air conditioner quit running, but we all met together here and we could look at each other going, oh, we don't have air conditioning, we don't have lights, and we can't hear the organ, we can't hear the piano because we don't have all that, we could still look at each other going, but to God get the glory. Because this is not about us, it's about him. To God be all the glory. And so church, as I think about a sermon over finances, these are Paul's words. This is us ordering things in a way that we understand joy is found in the contentment. But the question I asked myself this week, as pastor of South Sub Church, if you could walk away, if I could like, church, here's the four things that I want you to understand from this, from Paul's writing about money, about finances, about stewardship, what would they be? And here's the four things. And if you're writing your notes, here's the fill in the blanks. When it comes to your finances and finding joy in your finances, Here's what I want and I pray for you, church, is that you would be content. Contentment is not found in how much you have, but in how you handle what you have. Let me say that again. Contentment will never be found in how much we have. It will be found in how we handle what we have. As you look throughout the New Testament, there's 38 parables. Did you know this? 16 of the 38 parables were about stewardship or finances. As you look a little bit further in the Gospels, if you took all the verses in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just divided them out, one out of every ten verses in the New Testament would be about money. If you took just a whole New Testament breakdown, there's over 500, around 500 verses over prayer. There's over 500 verses about faith. And there's over 2,000 verses about finances and stewardship. And somebody new to God's going, well, God sure is a greedy God. He just wants your money, money, money. God does not need our money. Scripture says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If God needs some money, he just has to go sell a few cows. He doesn't need our money. But he needs our hearts. And the society we live in, you'd be the first to shake your head with me. Our society is controlled and run by the thought of money. 
And so God writes so much in Scripture about money because he knows when we begin to put him first and therefore our money follows, that's where contentment is found. And so God is really after our hearts, not our money. But our money runs through our heart, and that's why he talks to us about it. And so I just want for us, for you, for me, for us as a church, to simply just be, find contentment when it comes to finances. Here's the second thing I prayed for us. I want you to be a part of what God is doing. I want you to be a part of what God is doing. You may be here today and you're going, oh, this sermon about money, I didn't want to hear it. And you're going, okay, let me just, okay, what's, if I took a step in this whole God and money thing, where's my step start? There's two ways that you can be a part of what God is doing financially. Number one is just become a regular giver. Old school, we'd call that tithing, wouldn't we? And tithing, there's a discussion. Is tithing 10%? Is that biblical? Do you have to give 10% for it to be tithing? Can you give less than that? I've heard theologians go both sides. 10% is tithing or can you tithe? Here's what I would just say. A good way to be a part of what God's doing is to be a regular giver. I was taught at an early age 10%. And so when I got my allowance, if my parents gave me a dollar, guess what 10 cents where it went to? I'd take it to church and I'd put it in the offering plate. And I was taught that my whole life. There's some good principles within Scripture, especially the Old Testament, that talks about tithing is a 10%. Here's what I would say. Let's not argue on the amount. Let's argue on the, or let's be focused on the regularity of it. If you're not a regular giver, Here's my greatest desire for you right now. Not to get the money, because God doesn't need your money. But for you to be in a place where God can use you in a greater way and to be a part of what God's doing. So if you're not a regular giver, here's what I would say. Leave here today and just commit, God, from this day forward, I'm going to take every paycheck I get, and the first part of it, I'm going to regularly give to you. You're going, Keith, I can't give 10%. I couldn't pay all my bills. Then don't give 10%, give 1%. And after you give 1% for a while, going, wow, God, you're taking care of me. Let me up at the 2%. And just keep wherever God's leading you. But a great goal that you can shoot for is 10%. Here's what I hope for you. I don't want you to have regret. Because God is going to use, is, and will use South Sub in an amazing way to do amazing things here in Littleton area. And I don't want you to look back 10 years now going, wow, if I'd only given regularly, I could be a part of that story. But you'd end up being like the churches other than the Philippine church, the church of Philippi, and you're not a part of it because you didn't give. So just be a regular giver. Now, another way you can be um, a part of it also is just by being a gift giver. And some of you here, probably many of you as I look in this room, you have been regularly, faithfully giving to this church for many, many years. And thank you. We're blessed because of that. But God has also blessed you financially that from time to time you can go, you know what? I'm going to give above and beyond my tithe to help do some things and and help the church out. And so that's another way that you can be a blessing to this church. Just to let you know kind of financially where we are, and this sermon is not because of this, but just to let you know where we are, we started our new budget year in June. We're about $30,000 below what we expected in our giving. Now, it doesn't mean we're not paying for anything. We're having to adjust some things and watch it and monitor it. And summer's always a slower time. But we're about $30,000 below where we want to be. The reason we're paying so close attention to it, we don't want to keep a little bit more, go in the hole a little bit more next month, a little bit more the next month, and all of a sudden hit January when we're ready to really start some of these new initiatives and dreams and visions that we're putting together and not have the money to do it. 
And so maybe God has blessed you in a place right now. You're going, hey, you know what? I've been given regularly, but here's just a special gift that I can to get us caught up and moving forward and where we're going in that. But a regular giver or a gift giver, those are two ways that God can use you. So I want you to be a part of what God is doing. Here's the third thing. I want you to be blessed. Okay? Again, God is not like this, this, this vending machine that you put something in, you get what you want. But Scripture, Paul did say that he will take care of all of our needs. Um, when I first started getting our, mine and my wife's finances together and we're putting the, the tithing together, our great friend Thelma that I've told you about, I said, okay, Thelma, do we tithe on the net or do we tithe on the gross? You know what she said? You want to be blessed on the net or you want to be blessed on the gross? That's what you tithe on right there. But there is a blessing that when we're obedient to God and what we do. Now, I, I, I don't want this to come out like a school lesson, but can I just real quick, you may be leaning forward going, okay, Keith, this is kind of motivating me. I've not been a regular giver. I've not thought about this. There's three ways that you can give here at the church. One way is you can give online. Another way is you can text. Or another way is you can mail it in or you can put in the offering. Those are three ways. Now, here's something I've learned since becoming the pastor here. If you give online, there's a couple of different ways. You can set up your bank account that automatically does, or you can give through your credit card. Denise and I, we pay everything on credit card because we like the extra miles that we get from paying on credit card. So if I'm paying electricity, if I'm paying card note, whatever, I'm paying on credit card. Here's what I learned. If we pay our tithe on credit card, there is a service fee that, you know those free miles that I think I'm getting? Somebody's paying for those free miles, and it's not Visa or MasterCard. I promise you that. It's the vendor. Guess who the vendor is if you ever use credit card here at the church? You're looking at it, South Sub Church. On our budget, which is around $1.4, $1.3 million every year, if every one of us tithed on that, you know how much money we'd pay in service fees every year? Around $40,000. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to give my tithe, my offering to Jesus, I want him to get as much as he can get out of it. I don't want MasterCard or Visa to be getting that money. So all that, just a quick little lesson here. If you give online, the best way is to set your bank account up directly, and it's an automatic deduction in there. Now, someone once said, well, Keith, if, if giving is worship, it's not really worship if you put an automatic deduction out of your account, okay? Shouldn't you, like, place it in the offering plate? Shouldn't you write the check? Shouldn't you go online every week and do it? Isn't that more like an offering than just automatically coming out? First Samuel says this, it's a better to obey than to sacrifice. The Smith family, if we didn't have an automatic deduction that we choose to do, we would go two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, oh crud, I need to do that, oh I need to do that, oh I need to do that, and we'd be so rear in our offerings that it would never get paid. And so we've realized it's easier for us to worship when it just automatically comes out and we know we're obeying God in that. Again, that's just for us. That's just a freebie for those that are still trying to maybe like figure out and be the first time givers and everything. I'd love to talk with you more about some things that we've learned. But that automatic deduction is simply a great way to make sure your worship is automatic in there. And then here's the last thing, and I'm going to close. Not only do I want you to be blessed, I want you to be a part of what God is doing. I want you to be content. I want you and me to make a big deal out of God. To God be all the glory is what Paul said. And when we take our finances and we run them not about getting more but about being content. And when we arrange our thinking and our wants and our desires and our hearts around God when it comes to all of our finances and we find that joy, we will make a big deal out of God.
because the world looks at us. The world doesn't have this kind of attitude towards money. They don't look for contentment more than they look for things. And the world would look at us going, wow, really? You have such an amazing attitude towards money. And that we will be a witness to God and make God a big deal to our family and friends. And that's what I really want. Not a bigger, nicer church. Not more things that we can do. I want to be a part of a church and a people that makes God a big deal. And so Paul is writing to the church of Philippians. And he's going, I want you to find joy in your finances. Again, church, as I look out here, so many of you have sacrificially given, not just last week, but for many, many years. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I pray that we are a church that we're not dominated by money, but we're dominated by the God who gives us all things and will make a really big deal of him. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. And God, thank you that, um, that your word speaks about really practical things in our lives. And so God, when it comes to money, um, it just, it seems like so many times we're going to say, this is my money, this is my business, and God, you're over here, and we separate those two things. But today, God, thank you that you want to be right in the middle of our money. And you want to be right in the middle of our money because you want to be right in the middle of our hearts. And that's where we'll find contentment. That's where we'll find joy is when you're content with our hearts and our money. And so would you do that in us today, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Philippians, for all the wisdom we gained, for all the joy that we've gained out of it. Thank you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.